Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, Managing Director and Founder of FW. I began life as a journalist, held senior roles in newspapers, edited Australia's largest magazine, and in 2018, I launched my own business. FW is dedicated to helping women navigate their working lives. But I've made my share of mistakes, especially as a leader. In this series, I go in search of answers to often complex leadership challenges. I explore the latest thinking on how to be a great leader and return to the tried and true methods to better understand what works and in what situations. How many times have you been in a situation where you thought you should be networking, but it feels awkward and insincere? Well, that's because you don't know the secret. My guest today knows the trick to networking. Simone Fox is the founder of Canberra-based agency 1448, practicing recruitment and contracting services across government. A practicing accountant, Simone believes leadership is about the art of giving. In this episode, we discuss how giving is the only way to make networking effective. Simone Fox, welcome to the FW Leadership Series. I'm excited to talk to you because you work in such a different field to many of the people that we have interviewed here in the past. So can you describe exactly what you do at 1448? Um, Yeah, we did ponder this question about what it is that I actually do at 1448. I suppose I'm extremely fortunate because I get to do what I love. And uh, what I enjoy, which is working with people, um, helping solve problems, achieve business outcomes for our clients, their federal government clients mainly. But we provide a range of, you know, specialised contractors um, or or solutions to government in different programs and projects of work. And we have specialisations in corporate services um, and have delivered lots of projects over the years, as well as supporting whole of government initiatives. But I suppose... What do we do at our core? We we have a, a range of, of key capabilities, program and business readiness. We do have specialised resourcing across government, grants management, project management, architecture. We've worked across a lot of government departments in Canberra, so we, uh, we truly understand how they work. So we spend a lot of time helping sort of like the end-to-end business implementation services of um, government um, and really focus on some of the key capabilities like change management, strategic comms, uh, uh, et cetera. So on a day-to-day basis, it really comes down to people management. Um, and whilst not a recruitment company, we, uh, we've we built a really strong network over the years. So we spend a lot of time working with people about different roles that they have and people that they're trying to find. And we spend a lot of time talking to people who are also in search of a new role or a new opportunity. So every day, it's generally about talking to people and talking to clients So and, and trying to find the right fit and the right role for people. So it's kind of what our time is spent on most of the time. How did you come to found the business with, you know, all the pitfalls that starting a business has? It's a very good question. So I started the business because I was a strong believer in, in, in the right people and the right mix of skill and capability can solve big and complex problems and, and make a real difference. You don't need big teams of people to make amazing things happen. You just need the right people. So the right attitude, the right attitude and care, people who are care who care and are invested in the outcome to achieve great results. So, I mean, I was always a problem solver. Um, I love working, working through problems. I've always enjoyed working to help 
businesses deliver change or to deliver outcomes. So, you know, there's people who are really, really good at that. So the business was really about attracting and finding those sorts of people that um, truly can invest and be adaptable to supporting business transformation and change. Because if you find the right fit and you and you match the right person to some of those roles, remarkable things actually do come together. Our very first contractor is still with us nine years later um, and is a well-regarded senior operator. So, and this is this is so true of so many of our amazing teams. So because we understand government and how it works, we know how to deliver in the government space. And so our people and what we focus on is making sure we can deliver those outcomes. You know, as a person that provides change management advice to organisations, can we explore that a bit? Like what sort of techniques, best practices, you know, things do you tell your clients around managing big bits of change. And, you know, we're in a constant state of change these days. Oh, look, absolutely. So I think there's a couple of key parts to that formula that are absolutely critical and and you can't deliver effective change without them. So someone has to be accountable for the change on the business side. So you need to have really clear ownership. So who is going to drive the outcome on the business side? Because we are there as, as specialists to support them because it's their business, it's their outcome, it's their change. So without clear accountability, that makes for a very murky program because no one knows who's doing or who's driving the outcome. So we spend a lot of time really ensuring that that role and responsibility of every single person who's involved in that change knows their role and understands the importance of that role. So that's kind of, you know, absolutely fundamental and it's something that you often see isn't clear. So things definitely do they just don't go in the right direction. So the other component is, I suppose, readiness to change. So you're not about to start making something different tomorrow if you haven't invested in what that means. And in some cases, you know, it it may take longer than six months. So you may, you you needed to have started to ensure that you can get everything done and everything ready to support that change and that, and make that change successful. So we spend a lot of time with clients making sure that they understand the full scope of the work that they've got to do and the full scope of of the people who have to do the work that's required in order to make that change happen within the timeframes and to make it sustainable. So we call it sort of program readiness. So if you if you do that work and invest up front to make sure you understand the full gamut of what needs to be done, plan it appropriately, have all of the accountabilities in place, then you can really drive and deliver the outcome. So they're pretty simple principles, but we've found that they're absolutely essential. Well, they are simple principles in a sense, but they're actually quite complex as well. So if I can trouble you to explain a little bit more about, and I'm asking for a friend here, how do you make someone accountable? Like, how do you make someone in your organisation accountable? I mean, you obviously do it not only for, you know, big public sector organisations, but you're obviously making your own team members accountable. Yeah, I suppose, how do you make people accountable? I mean, you can't necessarily guarantee that people are always going to do the right thing, right? Um, the right thing at the right time. We find that ensuring that people have got a clear role, like it's actually written down and it's actually something that is clear and achievable. So it has to be also achievable. If it's not achievable, people may start to cut corners or not really, you know, cover off on the detail that's needed. But you have to ensure that you've got the right structure in place to support people because everyone needs to be supported in the role that they're doing. And so if they're not supported, 
they may also, again, cut corners and, and not do the right thing because they're not feeling like there's anyone backing them and there isn't anyone that's actually there to, to help guide or support them. So, so the structures are important. And, and that's even things like governance, making sure that there's, there's key groups of people who come together as authority to make decisions and to help unpack problems and basically make it feel for everyone who's involved that they are supported. You know, a change isn't going to happen because one person is trying to make it so. It is an absolute joined up event and everyone needs to have their clear role written down, how they connect into the full structure of what needs to happen um, and that you've got a good governing body, a governing steer to make sure that problems, risk and decisions are made so people are supported in that, in that sort of transformation journey. All right, so that I've got that. I'm now I'm now good at accountability. Readiness to change, like readiness to change. How do I get my organisation ready to change? I mean, I'm going to guess, and so please correct me if I'm wrong. That's about communication and repeatability in communication, and not just because I've said it once, you're going to remember, and being overt in some cases around what it's going to mean for people. So, if you go, oh, it's fine, it's fine, and oh, it's, it gets, it's only going to mean this. Well. Is it? Maybe it's actually a really big deal to me, and maybe I'm feeling that I need a lot more um, information or or guidance or support. So we always have a principle of a risk based approach to stakeholder engagement, which is there's certain people in a change that need a lot more time and effort spent because they may be the most impacted by it, and then there may be others who it's it's a nice to know, um, and they can just listen to the look at the billboards or read the communications that come out from the senior leaders, et cetera. But it's really making sure you understand your audience because for some people, it is a really big deal and it is really stressful and it may impact their work and they may not like that. So you have to be prepared to, to work with, with individuals a lot and in over time, you know, continuously to make sure that they really do understand it. And sometimes there is areas of change that people don't want to accept and they either choose to stay in it or they don't, but they need to have the time and support given to them to be able to talk that through. So the change is not the same for everyone. So yeah, different approaches need to apply. So Simone, in a business you're like of your own size, is that easier to do because it's a it's a smaller group, it's agile, it's it's got a founder, and therefore it's sort of a bit more instinctive versus if my organization is quite big and my team's quite big, I probably do need a conscious plan to make that happen in a way that is effective. Both are true. Both are absolutely true. So you absolutely need a plan to start with. So maybe it's kind of the the, the principles of what the plan is. You're not going to have a plan so it's so watertight or so um, inflexible that you can't deviate from it because sometimes you you have to. Things change and things crop up all the time. So your team has to be agile and you you need to know how to how to bend and flex as things happen because people are people and programs of work are, are not, you know, a cookie cutter and things need to be dealt with a, a, along the way because you never know what sort of areas of impact might actually be discovered through that engagement. So the more you engage with people, the more you might learn to know what really is happening or what really the impact of the change may be. So you've got to be, yeah, you've got to be adaptable always and you've got to be willing to flex with that plan. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the size of the team or the smallest or a smaller team 
those characteristics are true regardless um, what the team size is. So I'm the leader of a team. I'm in an organisation. I've got anywhere between 20 and 100 staff. Can I do that work myself or do I need to find an outside influence or an outside person or someone with your capability to come in to do it? Is it feasible to do the work yourself, to get your organisation, your team ready for change? Absolutely. And in fact, it's paramount that they are willing to accept that it can't be done for them and they have to invest time and put time aside into making that happen. Now, I know that when you're trying to run a business and then you're trying to put change in place, it's really tough. And there will be times where you're going to feel like that there's so much to do and you just like have got competing priorities. But where you have a business that's invested in making that change, because they're the best people for it, because they're the voice of the customer. They're the people who have the relationships with their business areas. Um, So they need to be the voice behind that change and they need to be truly in support of it. If you get specialists in and you're expecting that team to, to be the drivers of the change, you'll kind of get this effect of the change being done to you as opposed to being supporting the, the business areas and achieving that outcome. So we find that if you've got a really vocal and active sponsor or, or business leader who stands behind the change and is consistently supporting um, the fact that, yeah, it's tough and, 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 and kind of champions it for their staff and acknowledges the fact that it's going to be hard, we're going to have to work really hard and we're going to find things that we're going to have to work through and solve problems. That, that it's actually really motivating. So, so can you do it? Absolutely. And now let's talk about networking. This is something that we train hundreds of mid-career women in there through our Platinum Plus Emerging Leaders Program. And we survey them coming in and going out. And the one thing they all want, it's either listed as number one or number two, is more networking opportunities. And it's kind of this loaded word that people get a bit freaked out about. Tell me, what does the word mean to you? So networking for me is about connection. It's about enriching your day-to-day through other insight or opportunity. I find that when when you've got the opportunity to really truly I don't know, network or, or, or talk to people or, or just um, have an opportunity where you're, you know, socialising or interacting with people that may be new or familiar, that, you know, you never know what you're going to learn. We all come with a range of different backgrounds, of course. And so some of the, the insights um, or even just some of the, the connections that your network can create for you is, is um, a, a really, can be very beneficial, very rewarding. I interviewed someone a long time ago in this podcast who, and it always stuck with me. She made it part of her New Year's resolution to have X number of coffees a week or a month because that was a thing she had not done. She'd been so head down and working really, really hard at the technical side of her profession and hadn't really built up that network. Do you set aside time formally for it or are you a natural? I think it's just, I don't, consciously say, I've got to go and devote this amount of time for networking this week or this day. I find that networking, it's like an enabling tool for me. It's like part of my business model. So it's it's not possible to do what I do without exploring my networks, expanding those networks, 
I like talking to new people and meeting new people and we do and we do that every single day. And we also have a network that is also introducing people to us that are that are contacting us. I think for me it's it's it underpins my business and and without it I think um it just wouldn't be what it is today. So I'm going to quickly tell a story about how we met. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> Simone and I were introduced by uh, a mutual friend. He'd be disappointed if I didn't mention him. His name's Damien. And he said, I think you two are really like each other. Simone's doing great work in the bit in Canberra that you're struggling with. So he did an intro. You said hi straight away. You made time immediately. And the thing that I noticed immediately about you was you made it about me, not about you. You did whatever you could to help me solve my problem. And I raise that because I do think that is one of the great secrets of networking or connections is being able to realize that it's only ever going to work if you're genuinely interested in helping or listening or understanding the person that you are meeting for the first time. I mean, is that a fair summary of the way we met, Simone? Have you got a totally different version of that story? <laughs> Wouldn't that, no, would that be awkward? No, absolutely not. No, that's exactly, that's exactly, yeah, word by word how it happened. So no, it was a great opportunity to meet with you and you're spot on around the genuity of any engagement and that comes through, right? You can, you can tell, you can tell when someone is actually genuinely invested or, or isn't. So I like to think that, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to actually sort of reach out and, and and make those connections, then make them good, make them real, make people feel good about them as well. Because, you know, I'm getting tremendous value out of meeting someone new and learning about them. But I think the genuity of those connections is is just, yeah, it's paramount to, to having those networks be truly formed, that truly come together as part of your, your professional network. So, yeah. I'm also just going to segue because um, I can hear your puppies in the background. I know. <laughs> Sorry, that was... And no, no, no. And I want to just, I want you to tell the story from your Christmas party where this is really another really good example of who you are and how you have built your business and your network. And that was the artist that was employed to draw your puppy dogs. (laughs) Oh, yes. And she was at, this beautiful girl was at your Christmas party. And that image was amazing. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, so Bella was introduced to me by a wonderful friend of mine, Dan Cooper. Dan is uh, married to another wonderful person, Michelle Campbell, who um, I met uh, a few years ago. And Michelle is, is an absolute powerhouse of a change manager. She is um, one of the best I've ever worked with. So she's that's delightful. And Dan is a delightful human. So he introduced Bella. And the year prior, had um, I'd had a bit of a tough year. And um, Dan, he's so thoughtful, brought out this most and my dogs are, are, are just, you know, a part of my heaven state. Um, and they, he'd got this beautiful artwork done and commissioned by Bella, who um, is a cerebral palsy sufferer and is wheelchair bound. And her whole life has, has been wheelchair bound, but has discovered through her schooling and through her exploration of cheerleading and all of these amazing things that Bella does, that she's an incredible artist. So, so Dan had this commissioned of my dogs, this beautiful piece of work and um, got everyone around, you know, at the party and, and presented it to me and, and had some beautiful words um, along with it. And he was just like, 
you do everything for everyone always. Um, and we just wanted to give you this as an expression of how thankful we are for what you do for us every day. And you do it without question. So it was so, so beautiful and so touching. So I wanted Bella to come to the party this year um, because I wanted to share her story and also have everyone sort of see these beautiful artworks and she paints beautiful pictures of animals and, and flowers. And it's just, just, again, it's just so authentic and, and beautiful. And she was blown away, Helen, at, um, at the party we just had because we auctioned off some of her artworks, as you know. Uh, yeah, the whole experience for her was, was mind-blowing. So, um, yeah, it was a really satisfying moment to have her be part of that. We'll put in the show notes how to find Bella, but I um, I really wanted to uh, hear that story because I think it I think it does um, go to what we're talking about. Have you ever gone out of your way to help someone and that just not be reciprocated? And in that circumstance, how do you feel and what do you do? Because that's the great fear, right? That you spend all this time and you invest all this energy and it's just taken for granted. Yeah. And look, um, without sounding like some sort of martyr, I think... Um, I never go into a situation expecting something out of investing time or whatever it might be that I'm investing of in a situation or in a person. And I think if you go through and expect something in return, I don't know, it's, it might be setting yourself up for disappointment, right? Not everyone's going to value your contribution as much as you might hope that they do. And I suppose that you probably put faith in human nature that that you do hope that they're grateful Um uh, you hope that they're always going to be respectful and you hope that they'll reciprocate positively. But I suppose if they don't, you, know, you better d- to direct your focus where it matters um, and where it's appreciated. May learn from it if you have to, but yeah, don't invest your energy worrying about it and, and potentially uh, moving on. So I think we've all felt sometimes that we've been a bit jaded or someone's not done the right thing by us in return. So, and I think it's probably good to get some perspective on that and, and probably think back and go, well, did my gut tell me that I probably should have noticed that there was some warning signs there? So learn to trust that. The gut's an amazing, uh, um, it, I don't think it ever lies. Um, it's an amazing thing, but yeah. And I think you're right. And I think um, Adam Grant's written an excellent book on that because the, the final point I'd make is that the return might not be evident one year, two years, 10 years. It might be an investment that you, I had a moment yesterday, it might be an investment that you see in 20 years time um, when you least expect it, something from the time that you spent at a completely different stage in your life. Simone, are you an extrovert? Are you an extrovert? Because I think this does go to networking a bit as well, right? And I've got a strong sense that you just might be. Well, I I think people would consider me to be an extrovert. Um, I I mean, I certainly enjoy socialising and meeting with new people and engaging in, you know, conversations and and going out and being social. I think, however, um, I'm very likely a self extrovert, being I think I'm, I'm, I'm more so on the sort of introverted side. Um, people are often surprised by that, though, I think. Um, so maybe I'm a bit of an ambivert. So I probably have a balance of introvert and extrovert, I'd say. Um, so yeah, probably a bit of both. How do you describe your leadership skills? I am hands-on. I am someone who absolutely uh, likes to plan. And I need to know that we've all sort of got the shape of a plan. But I feel that um, as a leader, I, I like to know that my team know that I'm there whenever they need me and that I'm not going to be shying away from getting, you know, in the trenches and, and getting the work done. So I definitely work collaboratively and cohesively and, and, and I'm also very hands-on with supporting the team and, and helping them through whatever it might be. So, 
but also making sure that, you know, you've got to remove the roadblocks. So always thinking ahead and making sure that I'm making it easier because my job is to help them get things done. So if I'm not out there sort of, you know, <laughs> trailblazing in front of them, making sure that I'm getting roadblocks out of their way and that I'm actually helping support them, then I'm not actually doing the right thing by them. Simone Fox, it was excellent to make your connection last year. Thank you for everything that you've done for FW since we first met. And I think you should probably go and feed those dogs. I feel like they're, they're just going to get grumpier and grumpier with you if you continue to chat to me for too much longer. <laughs> I am very sorry that they've been in the background <laughs> chatting away. Um, and I know that my staff and, and my husband are in that room trying to calm them down. So, um, so apologies <laughs> if that's being disruptive. But yes, I'll go and give them a long walk. Go and give them a big hug. Yeah. Um, you have- thank you again. Great to connect with you and thanks for your insights. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell and audio imaging by Nat Marshall.